Hello there, and welcome to another podcast from 100% Legal, brought to you by the Aberdeen University Law Society. I'm Katie Evans, and today we are joined by Amy Shand, personal injury solicitor at Digby Brown. Digby Brown is a firm of legal experts who help those which have been injured through no fault of their own. So stay tuned to find out more. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, And to start with, could you briefly explain who you are and tell us about your journey into law? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast today. So I grew up out in Bankery, um, primary secondary school there. I then went to Aberdeen University, I think it was 2012 the year I started, to do the LLB undergrad course. I then graduated 2016 and then joined the diploma at Aberdeen as well, finishing in 2017, and then went on to do my traineeship and now I've sort of jumped through the, all the hurdles and we are now qualified and working in Aberdeen as a solicitor. Perfect, thank you. And would you be able to explain to us how you became interested in the personal injury sector? There's not so much a distinctive moment that I thought I want to do personal injury law. I remember from doing the undergrads, I loved the modules that involved people. So delict, employment, family, uh, criminal, it's juicy, it was good. Um, But I knew that there was a a huge draw towards people-based modules as opposed to sort of contracts, the commercial uh, modules. It wasn't for me. And so I knew that I wanted to work with people as soon as I had sort of or could get a traineeship um, or wanted it to be with people. The traineeship, as we all know, quite elusive. So I actually would have taken a traineeship doing whatever I could get my hands on. Um, But I was really lucky that managed to get a traineeship with Digby Brown. And all we do is personal injury work. So it was fantastic because it allowed me to work with people, which that was all I really wanted to do. Um, and when I set out trying to find a traineeship, um, I had more interest in those that were people-based, such as personal injury. But now that I'm in it, I love it. Um, as I said, personal injury wasn't one that had sort of straight off appealed to me. And I don't think um, the modules at undergrad level certainly lend themselves to a personal injury solicitor. It's not often a career path, I think, that's very well advertised. Like everyone will have heard of Digby Brown or know that if you've had an accident you can claim compensation but I don't think people automatically think of it as a career option when they're at university level. Certainly for me it wasn't ever ever on the radar until it came to sort of looking for traineeships. Yeah that's really interesting to hear how you got into it particularly for students who are interested in personal injury but as you say it isn't as advertised. So just to move on to talk about what you do in your job now, could you describe what you do as a personal injury lawyer at Digby Brown and what an average day is like in your role? Okay, an average day is so different. I wish I could give an average day, uh, but that is one of the best things about the job is everything is so different. I can walk into the office with one sort of plan in my head as to what I'm going to achieve today and very quickly that can all change. But what we do is we help secure compensation for those that have been injured, whether it be at work, a road traffic accident, at your shopping centre, sort of any accident that happens in a public place about with privacy of a home, we try and assist clients to get compensation for that. So the process has various steps and that reflects the work we have to do. So if it's a new client, you'll be taking statements from them. 
um, about the accident, their injuries, how they're getting on. You may be going out and taking measurements on the street. If it's a defect that's, you know, on a street, it may well be that it's local shop down the road or at the shopping centre and you'll be popping out to take photographs. You could have that in your day. Um, for cases that are a bit further on, we would have the client's medical records in with a view to sort of instructing a medical expert. So you'll be reviewing the records. Do they have any pre-existing injuries to this area in the body? Or is this brand new, the pain and discomfort that they're experiencing? Is there anything that might have happened? Do the records match? Because this is something we also need to watch out for. You know, do the GP records or hospital attendances match the accident, accident circumstances? Um, you might do that. Then you might be at the other end where you're trying to settle a case. Um, you might be sort of a couple of weeks out from proof and you're trying to get that wrapped up. Um, we consult with sort of both junior and senior counsel. That happens quite often that you can do in a day. And it may well be you counsel and the pursuer, but I've seen me on consultations with me, junior, senior counsel and a medical expert. So you get your eyes really opened into bodies and how bodies work. And actually, once you've sat in a couple of consultations, it's really fascinating listening to these experts speak about their field and the bodies and what they what they should or shouldn't be doing um, in respect of their bodies. That's really interesting. So an average day can go from witness statements to um, try to agree settlements, to consultations with counsel, to speaking to sort of liability witnesses, people that are there at the time of the accident, to requesting police reports, speaking to the Police Scotland. Sometimes I have to speak to ambulance crews um, if they've attended at a scene and we need their evidence. It's really, really varied. And actually, each case can be totally different as well, which also keeps the variety. Um, yeah, I think if I was to ask any of my colleagues, once you come into work, your day can very swiftly change. It's really hard to give an average, but that would be the sort of bulk of what we would do. It's, it's so much people-based. Like I said, I had wanted to work with people. Everything we do, you're always speaking to people, whether you're speaking to the client, speaking to a witness, speaking to a medical expert, speaking to counsel, speaking to the defenders, you're constantly speaking to people. Yeah, I can imagine all the, the variety is um, very, it's like a lot more exciting. I understand that you deal with a variety of different types of cases as well, um, including workplace accident, accidents, offshore accidents and road traffic accidents. Um, would you be able to tell us a little more about what is involved when working on these types of cases? Sure. So every case starts out the same. As soon as a client comes, you speak to them, take the accident circumstances from them and an update in respect of the injuries. Then the cases will differ. So if it's a road traffic accident, we would liaise with Police Scotland. So we have to get copies of the police report if they've attended, speak to the police officers that attended, you know, take their version of events. If there's any witnesses that the client knows about, sometimes they will come with them. So we would speak to them and carry out investigations that way. Um, workplace accidents are slightly different. So again, start out with the client recognition. And then you would write to various authorities. So depending on where the workplace is, will depend on where you write to, but it might be the local authority, such as Aberdeen Council, Aberdeenshire Council, or the Health and Safety Executive, and get copies of any sort of accident reports or investigations they hold. Um, you'll try and speak to uh, witnesses who were there at the accident. And so workplaces can sometimes be better than a 
road traffic accident, because sometimes with road traffic, people are a little bit flustered and they just aren't thinking to get witness details. But at work, it's usually people that they know in and out. So they tend to be able to get witness statements, but sometimes people don't want to speak out against their employer. So you have different hurdles in a workplace case um, as opposed to road traffic. Um, and offshore, again, slightly different. So every accident there that is reportable under radar goes straight to HSE. Um, so you liaise with them with offshore stuff. And the offshore cases can be slightly more challenging because you can have multiple parties on uh, an oil rig. For example, if you work at Boots, the chemist, um, all staff are going to be Boots. They may have third party contractors in to do say electrical work or whatever, but primarily it will all be Boots staff. Now, for example, if you're offshore, you will have the duty holder. So whoever's rig it is, they have ultimately this, the biggest responsibility for health and safety is their rig. They need to make sure of what's going on. But underneath that, you might have a company that's hired in to run the rig. So you will have their employees. But you might then have, which we see is very common in the offshore industry, is agency workers. Especially now through COVID, we've seen a bigger drive for agency workers rather than being contracted. So you might have a gentleman who thinks he's employed through one of the sort of more well-known companies, but actually he'll be third-party contracted in. So now you have his employer, which is the agency, you have the company that sort of runs the rig, and you will also have the duty holders. So you can have like three, four parties very easily in an oil rig, and the sort of changing nature of that makes it difficult for obtaining witness statements, because some of these guys will just fly out to these rigs and do, say, a two, three-week trip and never go back out again. Um, so it's harder to get witness statements in the offshore. Sometimes you're lucky and sometimes it might be a contract, uh, somebody that's got a full-time contract with one of the sort of bigger firms that works a steady rotation two and two. That's easier because the colleagues he's with um, tend to be the same colleagues he works with. But again, at the early stages, it's all just about witness statements and try just trying to establish what has happened um, in these circumstances. You'll have your client's word, but you need to support it, as with everything. Um, you need something independent to support their version of events that it happened how they said it did. Perfect, thank you. Um, would you be able to share any examples of interesting cases in which you've worked on as well? Okay, this is a very hard one with confidentiality. So I had a little Google because if it's on Google, it's stuff that we've commented on um, in the past. So for example, one of the cases that we have were involved with was um, there was a lady who was injured uh, with a sofa that fell out of a window up above. She'd gone out the back of her workplace and the floors above was residential accommodation and these gentlemen had put a sofa out of the window that sort of struck her to her injury and were also involved with um, the Stonehaven railway accident as well. That's brilliant, thank you. Um, I was wondering if you can explain um, what, were your, what your experience was like working as a trainee at Digby Brown and how did you find the transition from trainee to qualified solicitor? Okay, so the traineeship with Digby Brown was really good. So the traineeship starts in the September of the year, but actually there was the opportunity to start as a paralegal first. So I started in, I want to say it was maybe the May time, um, in advance of the September traineeship start date 
which was really good because it kind of got you in. You got to sort of find your feet so it wasn't this big daunting day one on the traineeship. What do I do? Um, so the traineeship is maybe different to what some other firms do. We don't do seats at Digby Brown. You come in and you'll be in your department and you are there for your full two years. Um, so there's no swapping about after six months. It's very interesting. I have friends, obviously, from uni that went to firms that did do seats and we were sort of chatting about the benefits and cons of that what they had found was that by the end of the six months they were just starting to find their feet and then they were swiftly moved on to another department and they were back to not knowing what they wanted to do what to do sorry or basically like back at the beginning whereas I found because you were in it and you weren't moving you really got the chance to build up your skills and build up your knowledge and like two years is a sizable amount of time you can actually learn quite a lot within that two years and actually with hindsight I feel if I'd been moved on after six months into a completely different area of law yeah like you were going to be back at square one so then when it comes came to NQ jobs I, I stayed at Digby Brown so I am um, continued doing PI but a lot of my friends then went into either a job that they had done a seat in before or a new job and I was starting my role with two years of experience. Yes, it was a trainee, but you're ultimately on the job, you're learning. Um, so I started with two years of experience where a lot of my friends were starting in their jobs, but say only six months um, in their jobs. So I think that was really good about the traineeship. The only drawback is, of course, all I've ever done is personal injury law and we don't get moved about seats. So if you felt that it wasn't for you, you aren't getting the opportunity to try other fields within the traineeship. But for me, I was lucky. I loved it when I started the job. So that wasn't something that bothered me. Um, the traineeship's also really good at Digby Brown. Um, certainly from speaking to people at other firms that have done traineeships, it was very different. We are given our own case holding here. Um, from day one, you have your own clients um, and you work with your supervisor. So whether it be a senior solicitor or associate partner, um, you'll work alongside them and they guide you through it. And so you'll start out with maybe sort of 10 cases and you work through them and slowly but surely you'll get a couple more added in and then like that amount of cases isn't enough to fill a working week so what happens is you then assist all your colleagues on cases you might be helping them take statements doing legal research into sort of quantum investigations um sitting in the council taking notes so you learn to both levels so you learn on like a a low value case level you know with your guidance, but you also then learned at the other end of the spectrum, the high value cases, you know, what was required in them through working with colleagues and supervisors. It was it was good. And the having your own cases certainly made a difference. You felt you felt like you were a solicitor, albeit you were a trainee, but it certainly gave you independence and allowed you to make your own decisions, um, under supervision, of course. But I certainly like that was you felt valued, you weren't just making cups of tea for somebody or doing somebody's paper coffee in her. No, you were you were doing proper work and it was your own. They were your clients to look after. Yeah, that'd be really interesting and help for students to be able to like know um, how Digby Brown like, works and everything just for their own traineeships themselves. Um, I can imagine also, going back to the work, I can imagine it must be very rewarding to be able to help a client who has sustained serious injury um, but also maybe upsetting. Um, how do you cope with distressing situations? 
So it, it's a shock to the system, is what I would say initially. Um, when people think of injuries, so our injuries can range from, you know, a one-week sort of soft tissue injury to your back. But the other end of the scale is sometimes injuries result in fatalities. And that is something we also deal with here. Um, that That's tough. And that, that takes a wee bit of getting used to, I'm not going to lie, um, especially having to have conversations with family members. And it can be really traumatic for them. Not only have they lost a loved one, but you're ultimately asking them to sort of really dig down into what happened or what are they aware of what happened. Um, that can be tough sometimes with loved ones that are there. If it's a road traffic accident, quite often one of the family members will be in the car and they've maybe survived and the other hasn't. That's really challenging. Um, also, some of the injuries we can see can be pretty life-changing and um, on the gorier side as well initially, because in this day of smartphones, everyone can take photographs of their injuries when it first happens. And if you're, <laughs> if you're not a big fan of blood, some of them can be a bit tough going. Um, but in terms of dealing with the clients in these emotional situations, you just have to remember that you're there to do a job. Your job is to help them. Um, and yes, you can hear about it, but you've got to sort of remove the emotional aspect from it and sort of think with a clear head and make decisions. Um, in terms of clients and sort of distressing, distressing times for them, um, there's different ways we can help. There is a bit of legislation called the Rehabilitation Code, which means that all parties basically try to get the individual back to where they were as quick as we can. So it means us working with the insurers to get the client access to private treatment that will just help them on their road to recovery. So it can be physiotherapy treatment, uh, psychologists, special creams. So we work with them under the rehab code to try and help a distressing time for these clients a little bit better. Um, but in terms of us as solicitors, our firm has quite a big focus on mental health. Um, they teamed up with Sam H., which I think is the Scottish Mental Health Association, maybe not how it's worded, but Stam H. And they came in and done trainings with us. And um, the firm have sort of healthcare policies in place that allow us to speak to people if we feel it's getting too much. And it's not people in the firm, you know, it's third party um, specialists. So the firm certainly support us and they're really trying um, to provide what they can in terms of mental health. Because yes, yeah, some, sometimes it can get tough um, you know, it might not always be a fully grown adult. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, we see children injured, and that's tough going as well because they're just they're just wee things. Thanks, Alan. Um, and do you see any developments or changes in the future of personal injury lawyers? Yes, yeah, so we had quite a big one this month. Eh, not this month, this year, sorry. Called Quarks, which was qualified one-way cost shifting. Essentially. Pre-quarks, what happened was expenses for the court action followed success. So if the pursuer won, we were awarded expenses in our favour, and if defenders won, expenses were awarded in their favour. But what we've seen with quarks, what it's designed to do is eliminate that. So now, even if a pursuer takes raises a court action, and even if we lose, expenses are not going to be found against the pursuer. Now, there's certain caveats for that. Um, one is, has the client, like the pursuer, been fundamentally dishonest in the pursuit of the claim? 
and have they behaved sort of unreasonably? I think if the answer to those two questions, yes, defenders can apply to the court to have an award of expenses made against the pursuer. But it's very early days. I think it was June or July of this year that that came out. So we haven't really seen that in practice yet because your case had to be raised post June or July of this year. And we haven't got the case turnover yet to see this in action. So that will be a growing development that we're both sides, both pursuer and defender, sort of watching quite eagerly to see what happens over the next couple of years. Um, so now I just have a few questions um, specifically for student advice. Um, I was wondering what you can recommend to students so that they stand out when applying to law firms. This is a million dollar question. This is so hard. I remember thinking this when I was a student. It's really tough. You know, there's hundreds of you going for the same jobs. I would keep the faith. You will get there. Even friends that, you know, I was I was fortunate that I got a traineeship in the cohort. I think it's like third year, you maybe apply from memory. You apply years in advance. So I was lucky I was in that cohort. I managed to get sort of in the first round of applications, so to speak. I have friends that did diploma and finished without traineeships that managed to get. So keep the faith, you will get there. If you want it, you will get there. In terms of how to stand out, it's tough. I would say be yourself. And I know that's what you'll be told time and time again, but it certainly helps. I remember looking to apply to some of the sort of big corporate firms. I was desperate for a traineeship. And I remember looking at the application process and just thinking like these questions were, you know, if you were a square, why would you be a squarer? Like, pick a shape, like just just nonsense. I just remember sitting and poured an hour thinking, how am I going to write this? And then it was just, I never got around to it because I thought, I, I don't even know how to answer this. And if that's the sort of question, and what am I going to do? Um, so I would be yourself. And if that means not applying to firms that is not for you, like I was stupid, like looking back with hindsight, I wouldn't have fitted in with a corporate firm. Like that's just not me. It would never have been me, but I was trying to make it work. But don't, don't. If you just hang tight, you'll get something that suits you with a, a firm that suits you as well. Thank you. That's really helpful. Yeah. Um, would you be able to tell us about any opportunities specifically that Digby Brown currently has for students to get involved in? Our traineeship applications have closed. So the next thing that's available is the summer placement scheme for 2022, so next summer. Um, the applications for that open on the 3rd of January and they're gonna close on the 31st of January. So it's a short window that they're open. And it's for anyone that's at least in the third year of the LLB or the first year of the accelerated degree. And the summer placement, how it works is it's a four week scheme. It either the Glasgow or Edinburgh office, although sometimes it can be one of the local ones, but it tends to be the Glasgow or Edinburgh offices and four weeks hands-on experiences. Not too dissimilar to the other stages of the traineeship, actually, what the summer placement consists of is helping colleagues with precognitions, helping them with medical reports, taking notes in meetings, going to consultations, to name but a few things. Um, the idea of the behind Digby Brown summer placement is to give people an idea of what it would be like to actually work for us or have your traineeship with the firm. So you aren't coming in blind, you've got a really good idea um, before you get started. The summer placement's pretty good as well because it's a similar process of application as it is for the traineeship. So if you make it through to the summer placement, 
um, you have an option. You don't have to stay. If you, if you do the four weeks and hate it, you don't have to stay, but it takes you straight through onto the traineeship application process. So you'll miss out the sort of the paperwork side of it, the actual application, but you will still have to go to the assessment days, but it sort of jump starts you in the process. Thank you so much. Um, so I think the last question I have today is, what would you advise to students who are particularly interested in personal injuries law? Um, so for example, are there are there any um, specific avenues or experience you suggest they maybe look into? I would certainly look into doing uh, work experience, whether it be a summer placement with us or another personal injury firm, or even a defender's firm, you would still get uh, an idea of how personal injury works, it would just be from a different perspective. I would try and do that, definitely. Um, sometimes the local society, the Society of Advocates, they sometimes put on um, CPD training, which will cover personal injury law. So if you keep an eye out, I think for, train, uh, for trainees, for students, I think it's a discounted rate. I want to say maybe 10 or 20 pounds which I appreciate if you're a student, you know, every penny counts, but that's certainly one way and that will just give you an experience um, of what to look out for. In terms of life experience, I think if you have any sort of customer service based role, anything where you have to deal with people day in, day out, that will certainly stand you in good stead. As I said earlier in the podcast, all we do is speak to people. It's just who it is that changes, but all my days spent chatting to folk. So a job where you have to do that, I think would put you in good, in a good position. Ideally, if you've worked in some sort of hospital environment, because you would then have a slight knowledge of injuries or just human bodies, but absolutely, absolutely not essential. Do not, don't run out and get a job for the NHS, um, just specifically to get into PI, but you know, it helps. It just gives you a little bit of background if possible. Perfect, thank you so much. Well, I think that's the questions. That's all the questions I have today. Thank you so much, Amy, for being on our podcast. And thank you for listening to 100% Legal. Thank you for listening to 100% Legal. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to follow our podcast channel to keep up with future episodes. Also, don't forget to follow us on our social medias, our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Our username is at ABDN Law Society. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.